The Beatles are a pretty nice band, and we've got a lot to say. The Beatles are a pretty nice band, talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfit a lot, so are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band, someday we'll judge if they're fine, oh yeah, someday we'll judge if they're fine. I am the walrus. Because <laughs> walruses say that. I've heard a walrus say that before. Really? In my dreams. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, this is the B side of Hello Goodbye. John wanted it to be the A side. I agree with him and also completely understand why it wasn't. It's a fun song, a lot of silly noises, but uh, weirdly kind of angry. Like in the way John spits out the peas and pretty little policemen in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, this is the Beatles are starting to mention the police a lot. <laughs> starting with lovely Rita. And now, uh, yeah. now this and then Blue Jay Way brings up. Yeah. There's so many policemen to meet. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. He's, he came in through the bathroom window? Mm, I'm just thinking of them now. So I joined the police department. Yeah. So, yeah, he spits out the peas and the song is deceptively complex. It's full of real-life references, as we'll soon see. Um, it dances on the lunacy tightrope. John wobbles but doesn't fall into complete unlistenable ridiculousness here my humble opinion yeah he he toes that line very deftly here like i could see this being like a double a side like Mm -hmm. we've spoken about in prior episodes but i think they made the right call commercially like you could you could make an argument for this being the best b side maybe maybe not it's it's up there um you know i really do enjoy this um this is it's a psychedelic classic. I, I mean, the, the B-sides that come into my head, because I have to disagree with you on, on everything. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, is, is, what would that, what, there needs to be drama in a podcast. Uh, right. Otherwise, it's just two people getting along. Who needs that? Right. <laughs> and we're clearly not getting along. Oh, shut up. <laughs> uh, hey, I've had enough of you. <laughs> but uh, Rain and Come Together yeah. come to mind. Um, oh, I didn't know Come Together was a B-side. It was the B-side to something. To what? Something. Oh, I guess you'll remember it eventually. Uh, okay. I, I realized what you were doing, and now I'm really <laughs> upset. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Something, uh, something or other. All right, so this is in the top five, then, Yeah. of B-sides. Yeah. I mean, this is for, we could table this discussion for another time. It is interesting. Um, yes. Maybe I'll pose it to the to subreddit, Beatles subreddit. That seems like a good idea. That'd be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Let me write this down because it's such a good idea. I'll probably forget it. And, or maybe it already exists. B-side Beatles best, Reddit. Uh, what's the band's <laughs> okay yeah so here we go uh, revolution I think... okay mm-hmm. um, so it says rain don't let me down oh yeah I love that that's one that's a good one um, 
I'm in love for the first time. Yeah, so those are... Don't you know it's going to last? I didn't know Dilla did a cover. It's love that lasts forever. (laughs) Love has no pants. I do like that song, too, very much. So, okay, those are are the candidates. Um, So, yes, Job, what did... uh, I am the Walrus to be the A-side. He was uh, overruled by Paul McCartney and George Martin. And this decision helped lead to resentment from John, who complained that after the group split that, quote, I got sick and tired of being Paul's backup band. Ooh. Ouch. Yeah. Um, so John said he wrote the first line on an acid trip. And the second line on a different acid trip the following weekend. Um, it was a composite of three song fragments. The first part was inspired by a two-note police siren Lennon heard while at home at Weybridge. This became Mr. City Policeman City Pretty. Um, Hunter Davies recounted the beginnings of the second part in his authorized 1968 biography of The Beatles. Hunter claimed he'd written down another few words that day, just daft words to put to another bit of rhythm. Sitting on a cornflake, waiting for the man to come. I thought he said van to come, which he hadn't, but he liked it better and said he'd use it instead. I think man to come was better, but... Yeah. I'm not John Lennon. You're Roger. No. Yeah, dumb old Roger. Uh, You're not in the freaking Beatles. Uh, no, I'm in. Hey. Hmm. The third part of "I Am the Walrus" started with the phrase "sitting in an English country garden," which, as Davies noted, Lennon was fond of doing for hours at a time. Lennon repeated the phrase to himself until a melody came. Uh, the song's title came from Lewis Carroll's poem "The Walrus and the Carpenter." Lennon later realized that, oh, he got it wrong. The carpenter was the good guy. He said, I thought, oh, shit, I picked the wrong guy. I should have said, I am the carpenter. But that wouldn't have been the same, would it? No, it would not. Um, The Eggman, there is an Eggman. While it's possibly a reference to Lewis Carroll's Humpty Dumpty, it was more likely the animal's lead singer, Eric Burton, um, following a particularly notable incident recounted to John Lennon at a London party. <laughs> and um, I would say if you have children listening, uh, that's cool, but maybe you want them to leave the room for the next minute or so. Yeah. Parental discretion is advised on the etymology of the Eggman. Uh, this Eric Burton from his biography, autobiography, uh, he said, it may have been one of my more dubious distinctions, but I was the Eggman, or as some of my pals called me, Eggs. The nickname stuck after a wild experience I'd had at the time with a Jamaican girlfriend called Sylvia. I was up early one morning cooking breakfast, naked except for my socks, and she slid up beside me and slipped an amyl nitrate capsule under my nose. As the fumes set my brain alight, and I slid to the kitchen floor. She reached to the counter and grabbed an egg, which she cracked into the pit of my belly. The white and yellow of the egg ran down my naked front, and Sylvia slipped my egg-bathed cock into her mouth and began to show me one Jamaican trick after another. 
I shared the story with John at a party at a Bayfair flat one night with a handful of blondes and a little Asian girl. Go on, go get it, Eggman, Lennon laughed over the little round glasses perched on the end of his hook-like nose as we tried the all-too-willing girls on for size. Okay. Wow. You know, I would be pissed if Sylvia did that to me. I mean, eggs are expensive these days. It's... <laughs> Do you think um, that's where Elton John got the, 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 the Jamaican uh, song I'm thinking of? That I don't know if I want to say the title of. Oh, uh, you know, I, I'm sure this this story made the rounds among the yeah. the rock and roll uh, clientele. Yes. So uh, just 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 kind of popped into my head here. I was like, mm-hmm. hmm, yeah, hmm. because it because it kind of it kind of was. It's um it's quite possible, uh, honestly. Yeah. I I didn't know this story though until. Uh, I did the research. Um, I feel scandalized a little bit. Uh, side note: I just want to say that the title, the title for the Eric Burton biography, is fantastic. Don't let me be misunderstood. He's it's good. Yeah, good title. I guess I'm just a soul whose intentions are good is too long, but uh... <laughs> that's that, that's in the the subheader. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> According to Lennon's childhood friend, Pete Shotton, he was further inspired to turn the song into a nonsense tour de force after receiving a letter from Stephen Bailey, a pupil at his old primary school, Quarry Bank. The letter revealed that a teacher was having his class analyze Beatles' lyrics. Lennon asked Shotton to remind him of a playground rhyme they'd known from childhood, which went, Yellow batter custard, green slop pie, all mixed together with a dead dog's eye. Slap it on a buddy... Ten foot thick, then wash it all down with a cup of cold sick. So he changed it a little bit. Uh, yellow matter custard dri- dripping from a dead dog's eye, followed by a stream of mostly meaningless nonsense. Let the fuckers work that one out, was his response to Shotten when he'd finished. Hmm. Semolita Plitchard, according to Marianne Faithful, was a reference to Detective Sergeant Norman Pilcher, the notoriously anti-drug zealot who made it his mission to bust people from the music world for possession of illegal substances. Elsewhere, the beat poet Allen Ginsberg <laughs> made an oblique appearance. John Lennon in 1980 said, I'd seen Ginsberg and some other people who liked Dylan and Jesus go on about Hare Krishna. It was Ginsberg in particular I was referring to. The words elementary penguin meant that it's naive to just go around chanting Hare Krishna or putting all your faith in one idol. Alan Ginsberg, I, I suppose he could look like a penguin if you're on acid. But so could plenty of people, I would say. The BBC banned the song for the lights, pornographic priestess, and let your knickers down. George Harrison liked those lines. He was quoted <laughs> saying, why can't you have people fucking as well? It's going on everywhere in the world all the time. So why can't you mention it? It's just a word made up by people. It doesn't mean a thing, so why can't we use it in a song? We will eventually. We haven't started yet. Hmm. Quite the threat. The singers, eight female, eight male, were seasoned session performers. George Martin's rather unorthodox score consisted of a series of whoops, ho, 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 he, 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 ha, 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 
oopa oopa, stick it up your jumper, and got one, got one, everybody's got one. They were the Mike Sam's Singers. That was the name of that group. Um, that night, a broadcast of Shakespeare's The Tragedy of King Lear was broadcast, and John Lennon's radio happened to settle on Act 4, Scene 6, featuring Gloucester, Edgar, and Oswald. Uh, John said we did about half a dozen mixes, and I just used whatever was coming through at the time. I never knew it was King Lear until years later somebody told me, because I could hardly make out what he was saying. It was interesting to mix the whole thing with a live radio coming through it. So that's the secret of that one. I think that's that's my favorite part of the song. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I remember Simon and Garfunkel did that trick with... Um, Although it was more intentional, um, it was where they put the local news in and all the and a bunch of bad stuff. Yeah, I forgot what the title of it was, but I think this. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's okay. It's gonna bother me now. Our listeners will let us know politely. One, t- one time I saw um, Sonic Youth and they closed the sh- they closed the show with the song "Expressway to Your Skull" and Thurston Moore. You know, had a radio and did that, and all of a sudden, the very end of it turned out to be uh, "Boys of Summer" by <laughs> Don Henley. <laughs> and I thought that trick was so good that I he stole it and did it in my band. <laughs> I love doing that. Art, true artists steal. It's true. Uh, according to Jeff Embrick, when uh, John uh, presented George Martin with "I'm the Walrus," Martin said. Well, John, to be honest, I have only one question. What the hell do you expect me to do with that? Um, So this was um, the first song that they started after uh, Brian Epstein's passing. And um, according to Jeff Fembrick, it is recounting they were not in the best headspace. Uh, And I think you can hear that in the song. (laughs) That's what Jeff Emmerich says, and um, yeah, I I guess, but I feel like if you didn't know the backstory, you just think, oh, this is weird and a little angry. Um, but I don't know. This song has always given me like it, like disconcerting vibes. I mean, and that's just mm. the, the point. But it, it's yeah. I think I think a lot of this record feels super unfocused and sure knowing knowing now what was going on it mm-hmm. makes absolute sense i mean it was still good uh i i mean i think um but um this is what jeff emmerich remembered the beatles were determined to work on the song so they began running down the backing track with john accompanying himself unusually on a world sir electric piano he was not a great keyboardist at the best of times, and on this day, he was especially unfocused. So he made quite a few fluffs, to George Martin's chagrin. Why, does, why doesn't he ask Paul to play it instead? He asked me in the control room. I had no answer. Perhaps John was just trying to get his grief out. George became even more exasperated when it became apparent that Ringo was having trouble holding the beat steady. It was a long song, played at a laconic tempo, so it was tough going. 
For the first few takes, Paul played bass as usual, but then he opted to switch to tambourine, standing directly in front of Ringo, effectively acting, acting as both a cheerleader and a human click track. Not to worry, I'll keep you locked in, he told his drummer confidently, once again dealing with a tricky situation that George Martin simply couldn't handle. I thought it was one of Paul's finest moments. He was trying to inject some professionalism into a session that was drifting away because the others had their minds on Brian's death. In the end, Ringo gave a strong performance, takes a no small part to Paul's quick thinking. Uh, but even listening to the record today, you can hear they're distracted that their minds are not really at what they're doing. I distinctly remember the look of emptiness on all their faces while they were playing I Am The Walrus. It's one of the saddest memories I have of my time with the Beatles. Uh, I hate to leave it on a sad note like that. Uh, no, and, you know, and that's something that Paul, you know, we'd see a lot more of Paul doing, like kind of just being like, no one wants to, no one wants to be the leader. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be the leader because this needs to get going. And, and a pissed off job. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was like slowly but surely uh, writing more songs again. Um, Danny Elfman's Oingo Boingo performed a cover of the song on Boingo, the band's final album. Oasis, of course, performed the song many times throughout their history. And a live recording of them performing the song at the Glen Eagles Hotel was included as a B-side to Cigarettes and Alcohol and was subsequently added to the 25th anniversary edition of Definitely Maybe. Is that Oasis's best B-side? <laughs> Baby. <laughs> And strangely, but tr- strange but true, Jim Carrey performed a song on George Martin's 1998 Beatles tribute album, In My Life. He sounds a lot like John somehow. Uh, good actor. Love Count Zero. We are grieving. We are not loving. Josie Scale, I give this a yeah. I agree. I'm going to give this a yeah. The Beatles are a pretty nice band. Talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfield a lot. So are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band. Someday we'll judge if they're fine. Oh yeah, someday we'll judge if they're fine.